Jimmy McGriff sets the pace with Hard Times. Bill Easley is on tenor and alto sax. David Fathead Newman on tenor sax. Ronnie Kuber on baritone sax. Wayne Boyd on guitar and Kenny Washington on drums. Jimmy McGriff was a hard bop, soul jazz organist and trio leader. And uh, this is from his album, this 2001 album, Feeling It. He died that year at the age of 72. This is Lead Stories. I'm Utrecht Lead. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Again, we hooked up after the weekend, but it wasn't such a good weekend. And that's what we're talking about today. It's a tale of two stories. And we have experienced these stories many, many, many times. And there it was again in dramatic fashion for the whole nation to see. And still, people can't tell what they saw. They saw images, a lot of talking and a hoopla and a pro protesting and everything else, but they didn't see what I saw and perhaps what you saw. Because we have been down this road many, many times, but it's a tale of two stories. And I want us to deal with the tale of two stories today. One concerns a young man of 25 years old, of 25 years of age, I should say, black, from the city of Akron, Ohio, who was unarmed, unarmed. Everybody felt that he was a very pleasant guy and liked to make jokes, was very affable, and he was a very popular person. But there came a point where he came into contact with police at a traffic stop, at least. That's what the police said it was, a traffic stop on June the 27th. But somehow he decided, this is according to police reports now, he decided he was not going to go through a traffic stop. He was not going to experience a traffic stop. He avoided the traffic stop. And as he moved on, the police, almost all white police officers, by the way, followed him. They didn't just follow him, they chased him because immediately they sensed this was wrong. This was a wrong thing for anybody to do to defy a police stop, a traffic stop. 
And so, how does the story end? It ends very badly for the young man named Jalen Walker. It ends very badly for him. So badly that even as we speak, the medical examiner of Akron, Ohio, is still trying to figure out which wounds, which gunshot wounds did he suffer were entry wounds and which were exit wounds. The young man was shot more than 60 times. More than 60 times. The police said, well, he shot at us. When we were chasing him, he shot at us. And we were simply defending ourselves, and we were simply exercising our authority. When we say stop, you stop. But he did not stop. He kept on driving. And the police also said, at some point, they saw a flash coming from his car window. So he was actually engaged in shooting at police. And not only that, he initiated the shooting. He shot first, even as they were chasing him. But as I say, the medical examiner is still trying to figure out because his body was riddled with bullets. Were these entry wounds or exit wounds from Jalen Walker's body? That's a different kind of policing, isn't it? It's an unusual kind of policing. When you have a whole parcel of police officers in their cars chasing one guy because he supposedly, allegedly, did not stop at a traffic stop. So they enforced their authority with bullets. Although they far outnumbered Jalen Walker, they made sure that he was properly dead. And then we have a contrast. The contrast is in Highland in just north of Chicago. where people were gathering because they would have an annual 
parade, you know, a little small town type parade where everybody just shows up and with their flags and eating hot dogs and doing all the typical stereotypical things. And that's when shots rang out. Shots rang out and people, it was reported, just starting falling, started falling to the ground. And in that short space of time, their assassin, because that's what he was, killed six, killed them, and injured many others. who were taken to various hospitals and other facilities, he apparently was using a high-volume long gun, the kind that soldiers use. And he didn't really speak. He just shot. He was on a rooftop. Uh, People were lined up along the main street below. He was above them all, looking down at them as he shot them and killed many. Six. Six people. He was said to be 25 years old. No, that's not. He was said to be 22 years old. And in police custody, they want to find out more about him and how this came to be. What might have happened to precipitate? this reaction in him. This is the police. They're trying to ascertain what might have been his motive. It couldn't be what they saw. His motive was to kill people. It had to be something deep. So they're still trying to sift through all the possible motives and causes that would have made this 22-year-old young man just break out in such violence, killing people. By the way, it's important to say the young man is white. Almost all the people attending this parade were white because it's a white town. And the cops were white. What am I getting at here? Let's start there. What am I getting at by raising these two examples over a weekend? 
one concerning a black man who police said shot at them. There was no gun found in the car or on him. But who ended that encounter with 60 bullets? All the cops are white. And then we go to north of Chicago in a kind of hokey little town where everybody knows everybody and they all eat ice cream. And they were going to have another year of their normal parade and suddenly all hell breaks loose. A young white guy with a high-powered rifle starts making them fall like trees in the street, bloodied, bleeding to death. But he made his way out of there, and police found him. He was considered a person of interest. He was not a suspect. He was labeled by the police themselves as a person of interest. And finally, they find him, no shots were fired at him, and there's a great deal of anxiety about what was it that caused him to break out in such wanton violence. They're still studying it, trying to figure out what might have triggered him to do this. So here we have a case study in police uh, procedures. One involved a young black man of 25 The other involved a 22-year-old white man. But it involved, across the board, mostly white cops. So what am I saying? Tell me at 888-874-4888. What is the tale I'm trying to tell here? Tell me. Let's see if we could find agreement on that. 888-874-4888. You see, every now and then, because we, we've gone through these kinds of stories many times, but it was interesting that they were so clearly distinct and yet we have such very different results how could this be we're still working out the kinks but we're still working and I'm asking the question in case you missed it I believe I have reason to believe that we lost you for a while uh, 
What is the story here? What did this, this, this scenario, these scenarios over the weekend, what did they tell us? What did they teach us? What you, should you now be very concerned about? And the media just not covering it. It's right there in your face. How the police are dealing with a young black man, how the police are dealing with a young white man who also killed six people and injured several others. 888-874-4888. Ed from Queens, you start us off today. Hey, good afternoon, Eutrice. How are you? Okay, Ed. I'm sorry that we kind of lost everybody there for a minute, but we're right back. Yeah, well, you know, make lemons, make lemonade. That's what I say. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I mean, it's, clean, it's, it's, it's as plain as the nose on, on my face, what's being said. I mean, I put it this way. It all goes back to the Dred Scott decision which is still a law that's written in the books, that uh, this country's legal system has, a, a black man has no rights to this country's legal system or this country's government is, is obligated to respect. From slavery on down, we, we're viewed as animals. We're, view, we're viewed as guilty without being proven innocent. You know, we are, we are the suspect. We are the, the person that you're looking for. We are the criminal. And... Above all, law enforcement, all branches of law enforcement in any state approach us the same way. As hostile enemies, you know, to, to, to shoot a person so many times, what, could that, what, what are you shooting at? Are you shooting at a monster? Are you shooting at some type of aberration? Are you shooting at an animal? You know, I mean, you can, on one hand, you can, a man who, who allegedly shot at you, but no gun is found, no bullets are found being discharged from his, from his general area, gets riddled with bullet holes. But another man, just because of the difference of his flesh tone, who actually shoots people, who actually kills people uh, with, a, with a military-grade rifle and, and, and extended magazines, can be taken alive. So it's just it's what this country is about. It's what this country is built on. And it's what, unfortunately, it's what law enforcement accepts and takes as, my opinion, takes as total procedure when it comes to dealing with African-American people or people of color. Do you find a lesson here? Do you find instruction for yourself and your family from this, these two occurrences? Well, ever since, I, ever since I was a young man, you know, the teachings of my father, teachings of my uncles, and, you know, try to avoid the police at all costs. You know, I mean, even even if you're in a situation that might warrant them to come, you don't want them to come. So, uh, personally, I avoid the police at all costs. You know, because I, I, take, I take them as the enemy. And that's my personal philosophy on dealing with law enforcement. I avoid them at all costs, and any interaction I have with them, I try to have it in a broad, open space. I try to have it where uh, it's short, it's brief, and 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 and, ha and I can have a definite point of egress to get away. 
What should be the, the proper or the correct response in both these cases? What, what do you see as what officialdom should be situating themselves to respond to here? Well, I mean, you have to, you, if you want to talk for technically, you'd have to reassess police procedure. You have to, you have to, the, the, the police force is rotten from the head down. And you have to start with the premise that the police training on a larger scale is incorrect. And we need to work from there. We need to uproot all of the traditional training that the police have, and we need to institute uh, a better di- a better a better diatribe a better modality of training. I mean, you know, community service, uh, community involvement, um, racial desensitizing, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I'm not an expert, but we need to do something different, and we need to have harsh penalties for people for for officers that violate the protocols, the new protocols or existing protocols that we institute. There's no reason that you can take an armed man alive and an unarmed man got to die. There's no reason. I understand policing is a difficult and dangerous job. I understand that you're putting your life on the line, but there is something wrong when time and time again, when a person is Caucasian and they're equipped with heavy weapons, not just regular, not even just quote-unquote handguns with AR-15s, with military-grade assault rifles, they can be taken alive. Shoot, they can even buy them a hamburger. And a black man with, with what, a pocket knife got, got to get bullet-ridden like Swiss cheese. They, 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 there's something wrong here. There's something vaguely, desperately wrong, and it needs to be addressed. You know, I mean, we, we, have, to, we have to reevaluate how policing is conducted in this country. And what is the job of a police officer? Is it to serve and protect, or is it, or is it, or is it to uh, uh, oppress and enforce? Thank you for calling and getting us started today. 888-874-4888. A tale of two police actions yielding entirely different results. Why? You tell me. What is your feeling about how these two separate incidents ended up having very different outcomes and uh, still highly questionable? And you should notice that media organizations are not talking about it. They're not saying a word. People are just, you know, reporting, if they're reporting at all, on what they're handed by the police. This is what happened. This is what we know happened. Therefore, they use it, that's media people, they use it as the official report of both these uh, occurrences. And that's what the public knows. Nobody asks questions that are as clear as day. I mean, you can't avoid asking these questions because they are so glaring. But somehow people manage not to ask these questions. This is not what the people ought to do. You ought to leave it 
and you ought to trust the judgment of police. They know how to handle these things. They're trained to do that. You don't know as a civilian how to, to, to respond to situations like this. But I want somebody to explain to me how in one instance, since police all received the same, pretty much the same kind of training, how in one instance the police riddled one person who evaded, supposedly, this is according to, again, reports by the police, who supposedly evaded a traffic stop. He is dead, shot more than 60 times. And then we have another person who secreted himself at the top of a building as a parade was getting ready to take off. He shoots like a sniper, which is what he was. He was these are sniper tactics. Six and killed six. And the police were able to, you know, essentially coax him into coming in, giving himself up. How do you account for this? I'm looking specifically at the police reaction here and how the police reaction basically uh, colored, pardon the pun, the outcome of two very similar events in terms of how police very often come face-to-face with situations where they have to decide not only whether they should use force, but how much force. 888-874-4888. Let's hear what you have to say. Gary from Hempstead, you're on the air. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Thank you. You're welcome. A couple of things. One is there was a interview with an officer who was involved with the Columbine shooting of that school. And he was asked, why, when you had one of the shooters in your sights who was running away, did you not take him down? It was a white officer. He said, I couldn't pull the trigger because he reminded me, I believe he said, of my grandson. There's a double standard in how threats are looked at by the police. Um, it's the same reason I think that in Michigan you had armed uh, in military gear protesters going to the state house and they were shouting in the faces of law enforcement, spit coming out their mouth in these people's faces, and nothing was done at all. Um, these because they are like them. They are they are the one in the same all in the same family. So they can't inflict deadly force easily on someone that looks like themselves. You know, I get so tired of hearing about change in procedures and new training and all of that stuff. I think every current 
office uh, and future offices need psychological evaluations before um, getting an opportunity to get on the job, a perspective of the race biases. There was a report I heard about in 2009 issued by the FBI that had indicated that there was an influx of right right-wing extremists into law enforcement, into the military. And I think that these organizations where we deal, the black community, just uh, more regularly with law enforcement. Um, but, you know, when Trump came into office, it looked like we were going to be dealing with the military on our streets, too. But I think that, you know, we have a lot of very dangerous people in this a danger to the black community. And, you know, I believe, and I'm going now a little bit on a limb here, but the issue of white survival is what drives a lot of the aggression, I believe, against black people, which is why one of the reasons I think, and I'm going to draw a loose connection to there was a congressperson, I believe, who was on a podium recently at a Trump event and thanked him. I think it was the day after the Supreme Court ruled on uh, turning over Roe v. Wade that he saved white life. You know, from my perspective, and I agree with Dr. Frances Cress Welsing in her book, Isis Papers, this is a fight for genetic survival. And everybody, I'm not saying is a scientist that goes out and pulls a gun and kills a black person, but I'm saying there's a perceived threat, and you, with the browning concept of the browning of America, there's a perceived threat, and there's an anger and hatred towards any um, advancement that we have, even our mere existence. You know, I've heard about people being killed uh, for being black while living, you know? So, you know, I hope I didn't go too far afield, but I think they're all connected to this conversation. Well, thank you. You're very You raise welcome. a very interesting point, and you are also right. It's broad, and hopefully you can come back because we're going to tackle this question again to understand what happened here, not only in the actions of the police, but the reactions in the community where people seem, I mean, stymied, they're stunned, that they, they can't figure out what is the proper way to react to something like this. And was it meant, the police reaction, to be so forceful as to kind of head people off at the past with the message that they can control whatever happens, they can control it. Well, Thank you very I, much. I, oh, can, I, can I just chime in on that point? Yes. Um, I think the black community, it, it, we come off as very ineffective and um, unable to 
to muster up a position or a reaction that is uh, 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 able to address these problems head on. Walking around a precinct, walking down the street with signs, no justice, no peace, is not going to stop these shootings. We just had a man that killed George Floyd. He was a you know big, high-profile case. He went white cop went to jail. Okay, but they, they didn't. I think there was a shooting, even a killing, even during the trial. You know, I've heard of a need for responses from the black community, up to and including revenge. You know, I've heard people say that a cop should not be able to kill a black man without impunity. He shouldn't be able to go home safely. His family shouldn't be safe. I've heard those kind of comments. Now, will that, in fact, stop these? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. As long as you have these um, uh, police organizations, the uh, what do they call it, the Fraternity of... of, of the Fraternal uh, Order of Police. Order, order of Police headed by basically what I consider racists who have no love for or care for the black community, only want to protect their positions and their memberships, which are predominantly white in most instances. As long as you have that situation, you will never have an effective response. And the last shot we had at um, qualified immunity, uh, a black man gave gave them a pass. That was that uh, um, congressman from South Carolina. When 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 uh, the the senator from Cory Booker and Scott was supposed to be trying to make this thing happen and get qualified immunity overturned, and they went into a stalemate. A congressman, I forget the old man's name, the black guy in South Carolina, the statesman who helped Biden oh, over the. That's, Yes, I see his face right now. But I can't yes, I could see him too. But you know who I'm talking Jim, about, Jim. Jim. Jim, Clyburn. What's your last? Clyburn. 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 Right. Yes. He basically said, "Oh well, if, if we can't get that, we'll we'll have to let let you know, let it go, let's get what we can get." That should not be the position. There's certain things that should be uncompromisable. You can't let certain things go by the wayside. But because we are always, you know taking a back seat and waiting and trying to work through the system, you know, we, we get what we get. So, um, anyway, uh, uh, I'll let thank some you, other speaker have a chance. And thank you so much, as always, for an opportunity to express myself. Thank you very much for doing exactly that and causing us to do some more thinking. 888-874-4888. What is the lesson here? Nobody knows? Just two people so far? What is the lesson? What did the events of the weekend teach you? Nobody seems to know. My goodness. 888-874-4888. We couldn't have asked for a more stark comparison, a more stark analysis. And yet, 
people are afraid to say. They don't want to risk offending anybody by letting them know truly what they believe, what they think. And the story's out there. One man shot more than 60 times for supposedly running from a, a traffic stop. Supposedly he did that. And that cost him his life. And immediately the news was he had a gun. The cops said, the cops said he had a gun. He fired at them as he was driving away. And that's when they knew he was very dangerous because he had a weapon in the car. And he was fleeing. They had to shoot him more than 60 times to make sure he was very dead. We have somebody who's shooting in a predominantly white community, other whites. And he's got a high-powered assault rifle. And he's actually killing people. And he was taken alive. They immediately recognized something had to be wrong with him mentally. Nobody in their right mind would do something like that. So they built the case right then and there. There is something wrong with this young man. And they're not geared, they're not equipped to make a judgment about that. But here's the thing. The young man who did all that killing has not died. He was not shot. Not at all. So what is the message? And the message isn't just about black and white. The message is also about policing. When the cops riddled this young man's body with more than 60 bullets because he supposedly uh, fled a traffic stop, and he had a gun, and they said he fired a gun at them. So they had to kill him. And they really killed him. As I said, the medical examiner is still today trying to figure out how to distinguish between the entry wounds and the exit wounds because there were so many wounds. So what is it that we're saying? What are you standing for? What is your position? There's only silence. And this is what I point to every time. It happened to me when I was doing a newspaper. 
People are out there, they're mad as hell, they want this done, they want that done, and blah, 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 blah. When the time comes to put your money where your mouth is, they back away. They have nothing to say, lest they betray themselves. And fear of the police, of course. That is very sad. Very, very sad, indeed. But okay. Let's hope it doesn't happen to you or a member of your family. Let's hope it doesn't. But for the situation as it exists now, we better have some kind of volume in terms of the the noises we make. And we better start demanding answers, demanding them. This has got to stop. Thanks so much for joining me today. Let's talk again tomorrow.